1: I'm a writer, consulting producer, and now podcaster. I am now trying to use my experience as the brother of a murder victim to help other victims of violent crime. I'm working on a book on the unsolved Colonial Parkway murders, and I'm the co-administrator of the Colonial Parkway murders Facebook group together with Kristen Dilley.
2: My name is Kristen Dilley. I'm a writer, a researcher, a teacher, and a victim's advocate, as well as the social media manager and co-administrator for the Colonial Parkway Murders Facebook page with my partner in crime, Bill Thomas.
1: Welcome to this bonus episode of Mind Over Murder. As part of our celebration of our second anniversary and passing the 500,000 download benchmark, we're going back to some of our earlier episodes of Mind Over Murder, bringing those back as bonus episodes. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be taking a listen to a series we did on the unsolved murder of Donna Hall, Mike Margaret, who were killed in 1984. Sometimes their case has been linked to the Colonial Parkway murders, although as we've learned more, we actually think this may be a freestanding event. We hope you enjoy this bonus episode of Mind Over Murder.
2: Welcome back to Mind Over Murder. I'm Kristen Dilley.
1: And I'm Bill Thomas.
2: And we are back for part two of our episode on the Donna Hall and Mike Margaret murders from 1984. Joining us again is Blue Hall to talk to us about the case. Blue, thanks for joining us again one of the things that I want to make sure we touch on is the fact that Mike's Jeep had blood in it, not just from Mike and Donna, but also from a third sample. And that third sample was type A blood, whereas Mike and Donna were otherwise. So talk to us a little bit about that blood. Was it tested for DNA? Give us a little bit of information about that
1: if you would.
3: The police had determined there was third-party blood droplets at multiple locations inside of Mike's Jeep. Some I believe were on suitcases that were in the rear of the Jeep, maybe some on the seat covers in the front. So I think preliminary tests done on that blood indicated a Type A blood. I don't know how accurate that is. Back then, there's experts that could talk all day about that, but I think police may believe that was accurate. As far as DNA goes, the last time, that blood has been tested multiple times over the years. There was not a significant amount of blood. We're just talking a little bit of droplets here and there. I don't know how much exactly in scientific terms. If those murders happened today, then I believe science could probably test that amount of blood almost infinitely because the blood required today for DNA testing is so small compared to what in 1984 DNA technology really didn't exist but when first when DNA was first uh, introduced that was not a lot of so it was tested multiple times the last time that I know it was tested was in 2006 I can tell you With 99% confidence, based on who I've talked to at the state lab and other sources, that blood in the Jeep was all consumed in 2006.
1: Yeah, it sounds like.
3: This anymore.
1: This is worth recapping for our listeners. A lot of times we are applying the standards of 2020, in this case, to a case that happened 36 years ago. So let's just dial back to 1984 for a second and keep in mind the Colonial Parkway murders start with my sister Kathy and Rebecca Dowski's murder in 1986. So the timeline is very similar. In the mid 80s, DNA hasn't even made it out of the lab yet. It's not used for forensics and it's certainly not used in law enforcement applications Blue, as you mentioned, back then they used to type the blood, which they still do, and it was discovered that this third party's blood was type A. That's the limit of what was available for testing in 1984. Real important point that you made that needs to be reamplified. The amount of blood or other DNA type forensic evidence, it could be semen or spit or other body fluids as well, The amount required to do advanced forensic testing based on the standards of the time required a significantly larger amount, and many of the tests consumed the evidence completely. In other words, by the end of the process, that evidence didn't exist anymore. It was burned or evaporated or whatever the process was. I know the amount of evidence required now is so minuscule compared to what was required Back then, even as far back as 2006, which is not necessarily ancient history, but is 14 years ago as we speak, the advancements in the last five years, never mind 14 or 36 years, are so significant. Now, as you were saying, Blue, a much smaller amount of evidence is required, and often the tests don't necessarily consume the evidence. I know it can be very frustrating for people listening to us talk about an unsolved murder case like this, where it's so important to move the case forward. We're looking at each other and saying it appears, based on what Blue's conversations with the state police lab and other experts, that evidence is no longer available to us because it's been consumed. I know people find that very frustrating. Trust me, so do we. It's important to emphasize it's no one's fault. They were doing state-of-the-art testing at each step along the way. 1984 or 2006 are not 2020.
3: Yeah, it's frustrating. It really is. And, you just take, and to show you how archaic blood typing is, and that's what they did back then, if you had a suspect pool of you know 10,000 people, and you said, okay, our suspect has type A blood, well, you narrowed it down to... Six thousand five hundred people, thirty-five hundred people, or whatever—it's just not good enough. Having said that, there is a tremendous amount of blood on both victims' clothes, Stay. especially Mike. If you think about, it, he went through a heroic battle. Right. He's got multiple stab wounds on him, defensive wounds. Police are assuming the perpetrator of that crime injured himself. Hence, the blood droplets in the Jeep. They didn't appear to be like blood spatter to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking those droplets ended up in the Jeep after the homicides themselves.
1: Yeah, entirely possible. But in the struggle, which sounds like it it went on for some time, oftentimes a perpetrator or perpetrators will also be injured. Particularly if you're involved in a death struggle involving a knife, you could easily injure yourself.
3: Think about a knife fight with that much blood becomes very slippery when it's fresh, and the handle of the knife becomes very slippery. Yeah, it's a very good possibility whoever did this injured himself. He said one time suspected the the killer may have been left-handed. I don't know how confident they are, but hopefully we'll find out one day. Right. But also... Talking about blood, they think these murders happened Friday night in the early hours of Saturday, August 18th, early, early a.m. hours. Their bodies weren't discovered until the 21st of August, 1984, so that's three days later. Their bodies sat out outdoors, albeit under a whole bunch of pine trees, which can provide pretty good cover, but whatever blood was there had already experienced significant deterioration because of the elements it's out there in the open Mm -hmm. the blood in the jeep on the other hand that was somewhat protected although the doors in the jeep were left open i don't know if the back hatch of the jeep was open or if it was open even or even if it had a window i don't know so the blood experienced significant deterioration that's one of the things it's a bad thing for us but hopefully with the advancement of science they can collect third-party blood type from mike or donna's clothes now and
1: did you ever were you ever able to put our friend jared bradley and mvac in touch with the state police lab his um, just to recap for everybody his amazing development is this microbial vacuum system that can extract blood from a number of different surfaces and clothes or among the list and find much more minute pieces of blood or other evidence. Were were they ever able to talk?
3: I did speak with Jared, who's a terrific guy, by the way. I did not put him in touch with the state lab. I did put Jared in touch with Henrico County investigators in the cold case unit. Great. I believe they determined that The MZAC technology was not the ideal method at at this time. So that was a Mm -hmm. no-go. And I don't know why. It may be budgetary. It may just be the condition of the evidence as it exists today. I don't know. I don't think I'll ever know that.
1: I think putting the, the experts together with the investigators is key. But obviously, we're having this commentary and discussion We don't have all the information ourselves. It's not like we can make decisions for the Henrico investigators or other folks. I think putting the smartest people together to discuss options is always
3: a good thing to do. Also, I want to continue the discussion on that on the blood, because it's very important. Even if they somehow develop a suspect without any uh, physical evidence, I think this case would require some sort of physical evidence for a conviction. Mm -hmm. And I think police know that. The DA, they know that. I'd hate to think that the reason they're not collecting more samples from those clothes is budgetary. But I know if there was a million dollars out there, unused, and they spent enough time on those clothes they could find perpetrator blood i have no doubt in my mind there was also
2: that plaid blanket too i'm curious was there blood on that blanket
3: not that i know of i don't think there was any blood on that blanket
2: okay.
3: i know there was a video put out by henrico decade ago maybe a couple decades ago where they had scenes of uh, video scenes from the crime scene itself yeah, there was a uniformed officer i think it was uniformed i gotta haven't watched it in so long. i can't remember but he was holding up the blanket with a stick or something saying somebody died on the
2: yeah it was, i had that down in my notes which is what i was aiming for with that i i just remember thinking that is really something for a uniform to say at the scene i think he said somebody yeah. Yeah, somebody was killed on that blanket
3: the henrico investigators had the the approval of the police chief at the time to get those clothes to a private lab. Bill, going private can be challenging at times in, in certain places because of chain of custody uh, issues, legally, so they were gonna go with a private lab to get those clothes tested, and I, I believe the county earmarked $25,000 to pay for that. The state lab was not happy about it, and they kept pushing back every time investigators wanted something. I know investigators wanted maybe a dozen and a half clippings from each of the victims to get tested at the state lab. And they kept getting pushback saying, no, we already tested this, go away. But at this time, they said, hey, we have this new technology coming online. And I believe it was six or eight months into the future when this new technology was going to be ready to go. So investigators were at a crossroads. Do we go private lab? Or do we wait for the state lab to come online with the this technology. So the only living relatives of the victims at that time, Scott, was given that question. He said, let's just, let's wait for the state. I Uh think it was was the smart thing to do at the time. It didn't work out because we waited and waited. And meanwhile, we got this active Facebook group, information's coming in. It was hot, right? Once that technology came online and and the state had promised the investigators, this case was going to be the landmark case for this new technology. And I don't know anything about the technology. I don't know if it was a uh, collection technology or if it was a testing protocol. But it came online. They did a few cases, testing, testing, and see what kind of results they were going to get. And they put us at the back of the line again. So they went back on their promise to us again, which I think is pathetic.
1: I do, honestly. too. I, I find this infuriating. And And then the labs, and I speak from personal experience here for the Colonial Parkway murders, they throw the you're a cold case in your face. Of course, it's how do you think we got to be a cold case? As I've said through gritted teeth to the FBI, no one has been standing longer in line than these families. And you're mentioning Scott Margaret, Mike's brother. He's the did you just say he's the only surviving member of his?
3: Family? No, he's well, him and his sister, Allison, you oh, know, good. of course, I- it's Yeah, Yeah, both terrific. I've spoken with Allison on the phone a number Mm -hmm. of years ago when we were uh, raising some money uh, at a benefit we put together. I had lunch with Scott, terrific guy. I I don't think I've ever met a nicer guy than Scott.
1: Mm -hmm. Did the tests ever take place then? That's the thing. So you end up in the back of the line. Did they ever move you up to the next on the list?
3: Not to my knowledge.
1: When you started to describe this, I had an idea based on previous conversations we've had about where you were going. I also thought to myself, man, does this sound familiar? If there's a tad of bitterness creeping into my voice, you're hearing it correctly. This is so infuriating. And this is the kind of crap that cold case murders and rapes families have to deal with every single time. Oh, no. Yours is a cold case. It's the lowest priority. And then somehow they never get around to testing the lowest priority cases. So waiting for the state lab, based on my personal experience, huge mistake. They should have gone the private lab route. But the problem for families like ours is that we don't control the evidence. Law enforcement controls the evidence.
3: Yeah, it's particularly frustrating in your case because you're dealing with the Colonial Parkway, which is federal property, so the FBI has jurisdiction on two
1: on two of, of the, two of the on two of the cases, and then the Virginia State Police have
3: right. jurisdiction
1: on the other two parts of the case.
3: Yeah, the FBI also poked their nose into the Donna Hall and Mike Margaret case at. At first, I'm thinking, hey, you know, those guys, I know some of those guys, I think this will be great. Maybe even use the Quantico lab, they had terrific results up there on some cases. It didn't work out. Back then, a lot of those guys, a lot of the resources from the FBI got switched over to anti-terrorism. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the help they were providing to to local police and state was taken away.
1: I just wrote a, a new column for a journal that's coming out in a couple of months. It's called Forensic Genomics. It's not the sexiest title I've ever heard, but it's a, going to be terrific. <laughs> they asked me to write a guest column, and which I've called From the Family Perspective. One of the things I raise, and if people want to question my patriotism, they're welcome to go right ahead. Folks, we need to understand something here. The decision to redeploy the FBI on 9-11 as an anti-terrorism agency had a significant impact on the level of resources available to individual cases around the country. Remember for a lot of smaller law enforcement agencies and there are 17,000 law enforcement agencies around the country, many of them don't have their own labs. When we watch on TV and it's a major city like LA where, where Blue lives or New York or LA where I've lived, They have their own labs, the big cities. A lot of smaller states and localities do not have their own labs. They are either dependent upon state labs, which are incredibly overworked, or the FBI lab in Quantico, which is incredibly overworked. And people who have now retired from the FBI, but know what they're talking about, have told me that 90 cents on the dollar, in the FBI's budget, which is already too small in my professional opinion, is now going to anti-terrorism. Now, I haven't lost my mind. I lived in New York on 9-11. I lost friends on 9-11. But... The decision to redeploy the FBI, which there are 17 different spy agencies in the United States government, and they decided that the FBI was going to be the one to lead the anti-terrorism effort. In my opinion, that was a mistake. You're listening to Mind Over Murder. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. We're back here at Mind Over Murder. What we're seeing now with our solve rate on murders across the country plunging from 90% 50 years ago to more like 64% in 2019. So the close rate, as they call it, solved murders is plunging folks. It's moving in the wrong direction. That's, I think, directly as a result of decisions, let's redeploy the FBI as an anti-terrorism agency. Quite frankly, I think one of the other agencies should have done it, or we need to expand the FBI. All I can tell you is waiting for lab results from FBI Quantico, the best lab in the world, but waiting six months or a year for a single test result, which is what these families are up against, including mine, is unacceptable. And that's what's happening in these
3: I couldn't agree more, Bill. And multiply that with a lot of this defund the police nonsense going on around now. Police departments are struggling. They're losing people. They're losing experienced officers, experienced detectives. Who wants to be a cop right now? They're getting just demolished. And Cold Case, especially, was low on resources perpetually, right? That's right. Sometimes they don't have anybody working in there. Part-time retired officers come in. They do a great job, but they need some direction. They don't have any warrant power. They don't have any badge, you know, power of the badge. They need to go find an active detective and explain everything to him and use his badge to go out and interview somebody on the street. Meanwhile, they're stuck at a desk. I,
1: I have this idea. I come from a military family, and here we go again. People are going to say, Bill Thomas is a complete radical. But I have this, I have this idea. That, first of all, I think most sensible people will tell you that America's military is actually too large. We're spending more than the next 13 countries combined on uh, military. I have this idea. Why don't we take a 100,000, just to start, of our best and brightest military people and offer them full-time, permanently funded. Are you hearing me, U.S. Congress? Permanently funded law enforcement positions around the country. Their goal, this is like the moon shot that Kennedy said, we're going to land on the moon in a decade. There are currently 200,000 cold case murders in the United States. The goal would be to transfer permanently these 100,000 military people into full-time law enforcement positions with full-time benefits, the whole nine yards. Their goal would be to reduce the 200,000 cold case murders in the United States to 100,000 in 10 years. I think that's an achievable goal. I know it's pie in the sky and all that stuff. So was President Kennedy saying he thought we could get to the moon in a decade, which we did do, by the way. This is back when the United States set big goals for us. I think these proposals that I'm putting forward need to be non-political. Who would be against solving the 200,000 cold case murders here in the United States? Probably at least that number of untested rape kits sitting on law enforcement shelves, according to our friends at In the Backlog. If we began really applying time, attention, and resources to this, these are achievable goals. We would have to decide that this is a priority. I get what you're saying about the whole defund the police. From my perspective, and I've been plenty critical of law enforcement in the 30, it'll be 34 years this fall since my sister died, still unsolved. I've been plenty critical of law enforcement. But I guess what I'm saying is what we need to do is to use that expression again, redeploy resources into things like cold case homicides that are in many small departments. There is no one working full time on cold cases. It just doesn't happen. If your case isn't solved in a matter of a couple of months, you're probably out of luck. And I've unfortunately been left to tell families of homicide victims, and other folks who've reached out to us to say, you better get ready for the long haul because unless your case is solved relatively quickly, there's a very good chance it's going to move into the cold case.
2: Let Let me pivot us here for a second since we're already on the subject of the Colonial Parkway murders. I know, Blue, you had mentioned in our previous episode that on your Facebook group, you have a number of topic cards that people can take a look at. And I noticed that one of the topic cards is a possible connection between Donna and Mike's murder and the Colonial Parkway murders. Can you fill us in a little bit about the similarities that you see between the two? And then, Bill, I'm going to ask for your response as well.
3: Yeah, I I think... The fact that it was a couple, couples killing, Lover's Lane style killing, was probably the most obvious similarity. The fact they were over, it was overkill. But I think state police and local investigators, they were just taking a shot in the dark to see if they could find a link between the two. No (laughs) one seriously thought they were connected just because of the location. They were very close, just yards from Donna's apartment. Yeah, they dismissed that fairly quickly.
2: There still do seem to be a lot of people on your Facebook page, though, who want there to be connections between the cases.
3: Yeah, I'm not. It could go either way. We're Mm -hmm. we're not saying all four of those Colonial Parkway murders are connected. Maybe two of them are, maybe three of them are. Mm -hmm. Maybe there was a, a serial rapist, for example, that was somehow involved in Donna and Mike's murder, who happened to be traveling the parkway to his parents' home on the river, on the eastern shore. Perhaps a guy with a history of violence. I'm not saying that's not true. I just don't know. Or they haven't found a link yet. I
2: don't know. Did you want to add anything on that?
1: I see this one come up a lot. Uh, I don't look at the Donna Hall, Mike Margaret Facebook page every single week. But I do try to look at it. And particularly if Blue gives me a heads up that, hey, there's some discussion going on. You might want to weigh in. I think it's a real stretch. I'm totally prepared to be wrong. I have my doubts that the Colonial Parkway murders are related to the Colonial Parkway murders. In other words, I think there's a very strong possibility that the Colonial Parkway murders are not necessarily all connected. We do have some similarities. We're talking about couples, cars, lover's lanes situations, couples going missing while out on a kind of a date on a weekend night. And of course, if you're taking a look at this area of Virginia, it certainly makes sense. Do I think that FBI, Virginia State Police, and Henrico should have been discussing it? Absolutely. And you do want to look at what else was going on in that area, in that time frame. I've taken a real hard look at this. I think that Donna and Mike's murder ties back into the things that Blue talked about. The large amount of money which went missing, the drugs. There's an extreme level of violence, which is actually somewhat similar to the Colonial Parkway murders in that regard. The Demerol those are things that are very striking about that case. By the way, it is possible that in a couple of the Colonial Parkway murders, there may be a low-level drug deal, like someone going out to score some pot for a party weekend or something like that. In the fourth of the Colonial Parkway murders, the Phelps Lauer disappearance and murder along there is a probably six to eight hundred dollars that went missing when the couple was murdered and then found six weeks later. Daniel Lauer had collected money that he had earned that summer from his dad because they had done a bunch of painting jobs. And so he had six to eight hundred dollars, which was a fair amount of money in nineteen eighty nine. That money went missing. They were on their way back to Virginia Beach when that cash was in his possession and then of course was not found. I see Donna and Mike's murder as a tragic event, but I see it as independent from the Colonial Parkway murders. I think sometimes people want solutions. Kristen's giving me the thumbs up here. They want explanations to mysteries like this. So people will get onto a certain bandwagon. It was Edward Edwards traveling around the country killing couples, or it's Michael Nicolau, Vietnam veteran. Trust me, these are not nice people, but... I find that people want to just ram the pegs into the holes because it, yeah. it, it somehow appeals to their sense of order. It's very disturbing to think about unsolved murders happening around you and terrible things happening to young people, and they're never resolved. You know, the, I think this is this tendency sometimes for people to think, oh, it's this boogeyman out there that is doing these terrible crimes. And the truth is it, these may be multiple independent events.
3: You're right. I think there's a small chance. Small chance they're connected to the Donahum. Very small. <laughs> but I can't say for sure yeah. if they are or aren't. Yeah, people
1: always ask. Blue and I are similar in that regard, and and Rob Holland as well. The role that, that Kristen Dilley and Bill Thomas perform for the Colonial Parkway murders is very similar to the role that has developed over the years for you and Rob and your fellow administrators on the Donahum Mike Margaret page. The- oh, George answering questions even and look I can't count how many times people have asked me about potential relationship between Donna and Mike's murder and the Colonial Parkway murders but as I said uh, new people come along every week and they're asked the questions are well-meaning and I'm not offended by people asking questions even questions that I feel like I've answered x number of times before I'm sure you've answered certain questions about Donna and Mike over and over again too blue
3: oh I have that's how you and I met Bill if you remember, it was a uh, late summer of 2015. I was visiting Richmond and I had come across a piece of information that I thought may have been related to your case. There was a, a guy with you know, a multiple serial sex offender that could have been a suspect in the data in my case. And I was looking at his timeline I found an unsolved rape on the William and Mary campus right around the time of your sister's uh, death. I looked around, I found you, and I'm like, should I call this guy? I don't know, <laughs> but I think I may have emailed you or called you and said, here's my phone number. And you were quick to respond, so that was great. We found out we both live in LA. We eventually met in face in, in person, and, and so it's great when people come forward, even if it's repetitive. The detectives in Mike and Donna's case, they heard the same story, a story that has probably since become urban legend in in Richmond about Donna and Mike's death, about who was responsible for it. Right. And that's the same story I heard when this Facebook group started. I called the detectives and I told them that story, and it was very apparent that he had heard that story (laughs) dozens, if not hundreds of times before and was not interested in any of it because they have pretty much eliminated that guy as a suspect. When this case was about two years old, they finally got a, a grand jury Uh, Convened to do a little bit of investigating They're a little bit less restrictive in their techniques with a grand jury They just go right at it They found nothing, this guy was pretty much eliminated As a suspect I don't want to say his name on air But back then, at the time of the murders He was probably not the nicest guy In fact, he had a reputation Of liking violence Fighting, Mm -hmm. more like bar fights And just showing his dominance About his fighting skills did he deserve to be accused of murder? Probably not. Did he deny it back then? Probably not. It was probably good for his reputation. Wow. And he probably sold, you know, some drugs back then. I ended up talking to this guy a couple of years ago and you could just he, he was very nice, very calm, very polite to me and it was obvious that he regretted a lot of the things he did when he was younger.
1: You've done something unique with I'll call them suspects or persons of interest. None of us pretend to be an investigator, but when you have devoted a significant amount of time to a case, Blue, as I know you and your fellow moderators have, to avoid confusion, you have created a series of nicknames for some of the leading suspects. In other words, you're not going to say, we believe John Smith could have been involved in Donna and Mike's murder. That would be completely inappropriate. And your civili- right. and your civilians to boot. But you've ended up creating nicknames for some of the suspects. How did that come about?
3: I don't want to get sued. That's what it boils down to. I don't want to be slanderous to anybody. Right. Especially if they end up being innocent.
1: Most of them will have to.
3: So I made a a pact with the other admins, let's not throw anybody's name out there. If we see somebody throwing names about who did it, we're gonna edit that post, take it down, ask the, you know, change the name of it or whatever. We don't want anybody accusing anybody of murder on our page. Our goal was to bring information to the police to keep the case in the public eye, number two. Over time, that changed. We became an information portal to the police. This page was hot to the point where Police were watching. There was a, probably a, a whole week went by. The Henrico, you know, detectives, you know, were watching our page all day long
1: to see what was you know? coming up in conversation
3: uh, with I mean, these people. It was information that it would take them years to go around and, and get if they could get it at all. And here, are people are just throwing it out. A lot, sure, a lot of it was probably speculation, but a lot of it was not.
1: There were topics that came up that the law enforcement officers involved were interested in
3: oh for sure yeah in fact they would even give us a little nudge hey see you know let's see how that plays out we are like all right let's keep that let's keep that topic alive for a little while let's highlight that let's really dig deep but we were getting contacted by people that were still scared to talk to the police for some reason they don't know who's they of course a lot of them knew me or knew of me and they knew I lived in LA and knew I had just that separation so they felt comfortable for some reason. But they were still scared to talk to the police. So we would give the police everything and make sure we're not missing anything. At the same time, we're learning stuff that is starting to set up puzzles and leading us in, I think, the right direction. So when we explore these things, a lot of times, it goes fine, We've, there's nothing there. A lot of times, especially when we start to get resistance from people <laughs> in a negative way, hey, leave that alone. I'm like, there's got to be something there.
1: Resistance be manifested. How would people express that to you?
3: Uh, Usually in anger and threats, in private, a private message, on a phone call, on a text message. I've friended people on Facebook that I normally wouldn't, because I would normally have no reason to to do that, but in the interest of justice, you know, I friended a lot of people just so I could communicate with them freely. Some of those people I would talk to on the telephone and develop a relationship over time, and I get information. So I think it's proved fruitful. Not that I'm trying to be an investigator, but if this is what it takes, I'm happy to do it.
1: Our friends Paul Holes and, and Billy Jensen used the expression "citizen detective," and you definitely fit that bill. You've gone out and asked a lot of people that knew what was going on back in 1984 when Donna and Mike were murdered and asked them questions and reconnected with people.
3: Yeah I think a lot of them, I did do that a lot of my tactic was building relationships finding out people that were in in those circles and finding out what they did after the murders. What kind of life were they living? What did they do? So you learn a lot about people, and then you, a lot of those stories you follow in different paths, they connect later on down the road, and they all circle back to those murders. And there's so many layers of it, it's difficult to explain. I'll do my best. For example, we were talking about how Donna and Mike's case may be related to Colonial Parkway. One time I was in Richmond, I was taking care of an elderly mother, and I came across this article of an escort service being run out of the apartments where Donna lived. King's Crossing apartments. They're not low income apartments. They're like middle of the road, middle income America. The last place in the world you think you're gonna find an escort service being run, right? The police later had made, you know, arrests of a, a place called Becky's Escort Service. It was run by a woman named Susan Stanley and her sister Robin Stanley and a daughter. Right. She had <laughs> bought the business. She was she was a medical professional, but she made more more money running the escort service than she did at her own job. There was prostitution. I don't care about any of that. No, nor do I.
1: I'm just disappointed her name wasn't Becky. That's all.
3: Yeah, the daughter of the woman that ran Becky's escort service, I'm not going to say her name, but she was very good friends with a guy named Michael Locks, a a multiple drug trafficker uh, offender who knew several people involved. They were in the same circles in that apartment complex. This guy brought in more cocaine to the west end of Richmond than anybody else. He, he also went by the name Mr. C, the C for cocaine, okay? Now, whether he had anything to do with this murder, not, I don't know. Did the police want to talk to him about it? I'm sure they did. It's documented in in, in Richmond Times Dispatch articles, the newspaper there, how the, the police wanted to know about a, a relationship, You know what they probably knew about the murders of Donna and Mike, and another guy by the name of Neil Foreman, who is a convicted multiple serial sex offender in -hmm. multiple states. Once we brought up the possibility that he may be involved, that page really took off again. And here we go, the police were watching. The police were glued to that page. Information was coming in so fast, they didn't want to miss anything, guys. They went to a judge and said, hey, we need a protective order put on this this Facebook page because a lot of times people would post something, it'd get heated, and then the person would delete their comment. Right. Every person that replied to that one comment got deleted. So information was starting to disappear. So police had a protective order on that page.
1: Were they actually able to stop? That is how Facebook works.
3: So anything, if I had gone on there and I posted something and deleted it, it wasn't gone. The police had access to it. I think.
1: The Internet can be forever, but you have to have the technology to do that.
3: Yeah. There's an analyst probably you know, back at Henrico Police gathering all that information, put it into a binder. Somehow she's organizing it. So we, there's a lot of information that came in that police were uh, very interested in.
1: Join us again next time as we continue our conversation with victims advocate and expert Blue Hall in the murder of Donna Hall and Mike Margaret. Thanks for listening.
2: Mind Over Murder is a production of Absolute Zero and Another Dog Productions.
1: Our executive producers are Bill Thomas and Kristen Dilley.
2: Our logo art is by Pamela Arnois.
1: Our theme music is by Kevin McLeod.
2: Mind Over Murder is distributed in partnership with Crawlspace Media.
1: You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram.
2: You can also follow our page on the Colonial Parkway Murders on Facebook.
1: And finally, you can follow Bill Thomas on Twitter at BillThomas56.
2: Thank you for listening to Mind Over Murder.